Thank you. Good morning. Please turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 13 as we continue our study through this gospel. Matthew chapter 13, and our sermon title this morning is The Mustard Seed Kingdom. The Mustard Seed Kingdom. Most of you have at least heard of, if not read, C.S. Lewis's series of fantasy novels, The Chronicles of Narnia. The stories take place in a fantasy world, a place of magic, mythical beasts, talking animals, uh, a white witch, the great lion Aslan. The most well-known book in the series um, was also made into a popular movie, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Uh, And in it, we are first introduced to the Pevensey children, Peter, Susan, Edmund, and little Lucy, youngest Lucy. Uh, If you've read the book or if you've seen the movie, you'll remember uh, the scene at the beginning. Uh, They are evacuated into the countryside of England. It's during World War II. Now, they're staying in an old country estate, somewhere safe when London was being bombed. And uh, it's there that they find a magical wardrobe, and through that wardrobe are taken into the land of Narnia. And I was reminded of the scene in in this recently, where Lucy has first gone to Narnia. She's met the fawn Tumnus. She's had tea with him. She comes back. She comes back through the wardrobe, and she is faced with the task of trying to convince her siblings that Narnia is a real place that she's just been to. And so this is how Lewis writes the scene. Lucy ran out of the empty room into the passage and found the other three there. It's all right, she repeated. I've come back. What on earth are you talking about, Lucy? Asked Susan. Why, Lucy said in amazement, haven't you all been wondering where I was? I've been away for hours and hours. The others all stared at one another. What do you mean, Lou? Asked Peter. What I said, answered Lucy. It was just after breakfast when I went into the wardrobe. And I've been away for hours and hours and had tea and all sorts of things have happened. Don't be silly, Lucy, said Susan. We've only just come out of that room a moment ago and you were there then. She's not being silly, said Peter. She's just making up a story for fun, aren't you, Lou? No, Peter, I'm not, she said. It's it's a magical wardrobe. There's a wood inside of it, and it's snowing, and there's a fawn and a witch, and it's called Narnia. Come and see. The others did not know what to think. But Lucy was so excited that they all went back with her into the room. She rushed ahead of them. She flung open the doors of the wardrobe and cried, Now, go in and see for yourselves. Then everyone looked in and pulled the coats apart. And they all saw, Lucy herself saw, a perfectly ordinary wardrobe. There was no wood and no snow, only the back of the wardrobe with its hooks on it. Peter went in and wrapped his knuckles on it to make sure that it was solid. A jolly good hoax, Lou, he said as he came out again. You have really taken us in, I must admit. We half believed you. But it wasn't a hoax. At all, said Lucy. Really and truly, it was all different a moment ago. Honestly, it was. I promise. 
In the book, Lucy is the picture of trustworthiness. She's the picture of noble, uh, noble character. She's really the picture of faith in the book. And the scene ends with her getting red in the face and frustrated and breaking into tears because she cannot convince her siblings. Despite her sincerity, despite her credibility, despite her conviction, all her siblings could see was that ordinary wardrobe. Wooden back with hooks on it. They couldn't see the trees. They couldn't see the snow. They didn't find any magical creatures or wicked witches. There was no evidence of Narnia in that wardrobe. Despite Lucy's integrity and insistence, they could, not, or they could not bring themselves to believe what seemed to be, what appeared to be, unbelievable. But they would soon learn an important lesson. A lesson Lewis wanted to illustrate with his story, and one that we find in our text for us as well today. The lesson is this. Appearances can be deceiving. The lesson is, not everything is as it appears to be. The lesson is that often there is more than meets the eye. Jesus, in our passage in Matthew, has been teaching through, actually he's been teaching throughout his ministry, he's been preaching and in his presence conveying that the kingdom of God has arrived. The kingdom of God is here, the kingdom of God is spreading, the kingdom of God cannot be stopped, the kingdom of God is eventually going to triumph the world over. Jesus has said that he has inaugurated God's kingdom, it is here, it is now, and yet, when his disciples looked around, that's not what they were seeing. When his disciples looked around, what they were seeing was Jesus was being rejected. And we can have the very similar experience as well. We can hear the teachings of Jesus, the kingdom of God is coming. We can read the Bible and see that the kingdom of God is here. And yet we can look around in our lives and say, well, where is it? We listen to the news and we think, doesn't seem like the kingdom of God is growing here. Everything in our life can tell us that it does not appear that Jesus' kingdom is here, or that if it is, it's very strong, or that it's very expansive, or that it's ultimately going to triumph. But what Jesus wants to teach us through these two parables is appearances can be deceiving. Not everything is as it appears to be. There's more to his kingdom than meets the eye. So our passage today is Matthew chapter 13. We're only going to look at verses 31 through 33. I invite you to follow along. Let's give careful attention as we read God's holy and authoritative word. Speaking of Jesus, he put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in a field. It is the smallest of all seeds. But when it has grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and make nest in its branches. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour till it was all leavened. May the Lord bless now both the preaching and the believing of his word. Now, with these two parables, Jesus is teaching us, look, things are not always what they appear to be. Looks can be deceiving. There's more to my kingdom than meets the eye. Despite what you might see or experience, 
Uh, you must allow the truth about God's kingdom that we find in these parables to shape our interpretation of life, to fuel our prayers, to govern our thinking, to shape our response to the events that happen to us. These two parables, with their vivid imagery, their vivid imagery, this mustard seed and this leaven, they are meant to function like a pair of glasses that we put on. I don't wear glasses. I once wore glasses in, uh, I think, fourth grade. Uh, I intentionally failed my eyesight test so that I could get glasses uh, because I thought it would be cool if I had glasses. And I had them for like a week, and then I lost them and realized they were kind of a pain. And I think my parents were saying I was going to have to buy them again if I wanted. And so, I, you know, amazingly, my eyes were okay, and I could see. Well, these, were meant, these parables are meant to function like actual glasses. Um, they're meant to function like a pair of glasses that we put on to see, to really see and interpret this life. And the sight they give us, the perception they impart to us, is particularly important when we are facing hardships in this life, when we're facing disappointments and difficulties in this life, when we are faced with things that seem impossible, like impossible circumstances, that's when we need to see that the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. It is like leaven working through bread. But first, let's take a moment and make sure we understand what exactly the kingdom of God is. What is the kingdom of God? What is the kingdom of God? We've been talking about it through Matthew's gospel. It's the theme of this chapter. Through these illustrative parables, Jesus is teaching us the secrets of his kingdom. But what is his kingdom? Well, the kingdom of God is the rule and realm of the Lord Jesus Christ. The kingdom of God is the rule and realm of Jesus Christ manifested in history according to his will and pleasure. The kingdom of God is wherever Jesus rules. So it's most potent in the hearts of his followers, but it is everywhere in his providential reign over this earth. It is the rule of Jesus, and it is his rule which will ultimately set everything right. It is the rule of Jesus Christ which will inevitably right every injustice. It is the rule of Christ which will quell every rebellion. It is the rule of Christ which will bring to fruition every promise made by God. It is the rule of Christ that will ultimately bring all people, all his people, into his presence, and it's that rule that will ultimately make all things new. That is the kingdom of God. That's what the kingdom of God is being talked about in the Bible. That's what we pray for when we pray, your kingdom come, your will be done. We're praying, Jesus rule, Jesus bring your reign, Jesus rule over us rightly as you should. We are praying for God's will to be done and his rule to break forth here and now on earth as it is in heaven. But depending on your circumstances right now, this may or may not seem very believable. Depending on your circumstances right now, the reign of Christ breaking into your life, breaking into this world around you, depending on your circumstances, it may or may not seem very believable. Some of you, for some of you, there is just fruit abounding in your life. Uh, you live in like a spiritual garden of life right now where there is just like there's fruit everywhere and there are good things happening and you see God blessing and you see great things happening and people are getting saved and it's wonderful and we see God's kingdom coming in and you're saying amen, that's right. That is a few of you. That's three of you. That's one of you. That's probably somebody here. <laughs> but for the rest of us, for the rest of us, 
we're facing troubles and trials. We're facing hardships and tribulations. Uh, Things do not seem so obvious to us. The Christ kingdom is breaking in all around us. Um, Sure, we believe it, because we're supposed to, but at best, it feels like a distant hope. It feels far off. Uh, Right now, we're more aware of losses and disappointments and frustrations and dashed hopes and fighting for faith, fighting for it, trying to hold on to it. We're aware of being weary. We're aware of being scared and anxious. Many of us feel like we are, in fact, in Narnia. Many of us feel like we live in Narnia, but we live in Narnia in the days when the witch reigned, and it was, remember this, winter all the time and never Christmas. Always winter and never Christmas. And what happens to us, listen, here's what happens to us when, we, when we're faced with this barrage of difficulties, trials, hardship. when you live in a winter that's never Christmas, eventually that starts to affect the way you interpret life as a way of bringing your expectations down. It has a way of coloring the way you see life. And so what's so relevant about this passage to us today is that we need a way to see life with the lens so that we can see the kingdom of God breaking into this world. We need that just like Jesus' disciples needed that. Because remember, he came preaching the kingdom. He came as the promised one to save God's people. He came with crowds coming around him and gathering around him, but not committing to him. Eventually, his family shows up thinking he's crazy. Eventually, the religious leaders are coming out challenging him. They're saying he's demonic. And his disciples were left wondering, what in the world's going on? Where in the world is your kingdom? What is happening here? And Jesus is saying, there's more to my kingdom than meets the eye. He's teaching us to look at his kingdom in a different way. He's assuring us, it may not appear as you think, but I assure you, it has an incredible future. So let's look at this passage in two parts. We're going to look at the truths of these two parables in two parts. The first is Christ's kingdom can appear small. The first thing we want to learn from this parable is that Christ's kingdom can appear small, insignificant, weak. It's interesting, in Mark's account of this parable, Jesus opens, teaching this parable, he opens it with a question. He opens with a question to engage us. So imagine Jesus is asking you this question today. He says, with what shall we compare the kingdom of God? With what shall we compare the kingdom of God? Imagine you're sitting around your dining room table, you're sitting around your table at home, and your kid, or a kid, one kid, some kid asks you, with what would you compare the kingdom of God? How might you answer that? If you were asked, how would you, with what would you compare the kingdom of God, how would you think to answer that? Some of you might be thinking, some of you might draw upon the image of a, you know, like a European castle. Strong, mighty, fortified, with a peaceful village around that it protects, and fruitful fields, and a grazing meadows, and you think, you know, that's the kingdom of God. 
Or maybe some military image comes to your mind, something like a marching army with flags unfurled, you know, something we would see, of course, in Lord of the Rings, right? Like, that's where my mind might go with some knight, some king riding on a white stallion with shining armor and his gleaming sword, and there's my king, king of kings, and his kingdom. Or maybe, maybe you're more of a sci-fi mind and perspective, and so what comes to your mind is this expansive fleet of starfighters led by a towering flagship of star cruiser, and it's blasting through, and oh, wow, the power, and you think, that's the kingdom of God, children. Let's go watch Star Wars. With what might we expect Jesus to compare the kingdom of God? If we didn't have this passage, we might expect him to say, well, it's kind of like Rome's empire or Rome's army, only mightier than that. Or, or it's like the resplendent temple towering over Jerusalem, only more amazing, more beautiful, more awe-inspiring than that. Or maybe he compared to David's kingdom in the Old Testament or maybe to the pillar of fire that went before them. But no, instead what he says is that it's like a tiny mustard seed. The smallest seed an Israelite farmer would know about. It's just this teeny, tiny thing. No mighty fortress. No mighty army, marching army. No expansive star fleet. No resplendent temple. Just a mustard seed. And to make sure we get the point, Jesus says, Jesus underlines for us, he says, it's the smallest of all seeds. And telling him another parable, Jesus said, the kingdom of heaven is like leaven. A little bit of leaven, like, like a woman took and hid in three measures of flour. It's, it's like a tiny mustard seed. It's like a little bit of leaven. These are probably not the comparisons that Jesus' disciples would have expected him to make. They're not the ones that they probably would have chosen if he would have let them give the answer. But these, listen, these are the comparisons his disciples needed. And they are the comparisons we need as well. I mean, remember again, back to what we've been studying in Matthew's Gospel. Jesus began his ministry, public ministry, back in chapter 4, uh, building on the, John, the ministry of John the Baptist, and we're told from the time he began preaching, his message was, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So that was an announcement of revolution. That was a, that was a Martin Luther nailing his 95 theses on the door. That was the Declaration of Independence signed and sent off to King George. Jesus was kicking off, in everybody's minds, a revolution. And he starts ministering throughout Capernaum and we see him preaching with power and he's healing the sick and he's casting out demons and crowds are flocking to him. But then there's that switch, right? The religious leaders start to oppose him and they start accusing of him of of having a demon or of working with Satan and his family comes around and and they think he's kind of crazy and they're trying to pull him back and, and people are watching Jesus and he's calling like, fishermen to be his disciples and he's he's eating with tax collectors and the crowds get confused and they start slipping back they start pulling back a little bit they're still following kind of interested what is this interesting guy and the things that he does but but really they're not committed they won't commit and the question is asking what's happening to the revolution jesus where is your kingdom now and jesus saying it's here my kingdom's here and it's spreading my kingdom is here and it's growing 
you've just been thinking about it wrongly. You've just been comparing it to all the wrong things. It's not like some vast and conquering army. It's not like some imposing and impregnable fortress. No, my kingdom is like a tiny mustard seed that's sown into the ground. But then there, in that hidden place, it comes alive and starts to grow. My kingdom is like a little bit of leaven. It's hidden in three measures of flour. But there, when it's hidden, it activates, starts to spread. And Jesus is saying, that's the great mystery of my kingdom. Don't look for big. Don't look for top down. Don't look for powerful and impressive and mighty. Look for the small that's hidden away. And then watch what I do with that. Jesus is saying, it can appear, my kingdom can appear small, it can appear weak, it can appear hidden even, but ultimately, that's from which where I grow it, I spread it, and ultimately how it will triumph. Which leads to point number two then. Point number two, Christ's kingdom will triumph gloriously. Christ's kingdom will triumph gloriously. The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard This is verse 31. The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of seeds, but... When it has grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. Jesus is teaching us here that the kingdom can look like a small seed, but will grow into a very large plant, into a tree-sized plant. And the peculiar thing about this image is this image of the birds that are nesting in the tree branches or the branches of the mustard seed plant. Uh, That's a peculiar thing, and you could think, well, Jesus is just illustrating how large the plant is, how big it is, birds can go. But what he's actually doing is he's, he's using an Old Testament illustration. He's using an Old Testament image that's used several times in the Old Testament of birds coming and landing in, nesting in, taking taking their place among the bush, the tree that is Israel, that is the people of God. And so with this, he's actually saying, listen, my kingdom is going to grow to such an expanse that all the nations of the world will come and make their roost in it. Jesus is saying, my kingdom seems small right now, but it's going to expand beyond the borders of Israel. It's going to expand until there's gathered in it a people from every tongue and tribe and people and nation. And then in verse 33, he tells them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took, hid in three measures of flour, till it was all leavened. Now you'll want to note here that interesting detail that it was three measures of flour. So that's about 50 pounds of flour. So that's not, she's not, this is not like making a little bit of, you know, like let's have some dinner rolls tonight. Okay, like, you know, let's have a loaf of bread tonight. This is making more than you would make for a normal meal. This is how much you would make for a festive meal. This is how much you would make for a wedding meal. Christ's kingdom is going to work its way through that much bread. It's going to work its way through this world, gathering together a great multitude to attend the marriage supper of the Lamb. You see, Jesus shared these parables to encourage his disciples in the midst of discouragement He shared these parables to give them perspective that his kingdom grows and expands and ultimately will triumph in ways that they cannot see always, that they're not looking for always, but it is growing, it is at work. 
He gave this to them to give them perspective, to give them eyes to see, but Jesus also gave them these parables to prepare them for what was to come. He gave them these parables to prepare them for what was to come because there was a day coming when the kingdom of God in the person of Jesus Christ would look even weaker than it did at that moment. Even more hopeless than it did at that moment in Matthew 13 where he's teaching them, even more hidden than it did then, the day was coming when Jesus would go to the cross to bear the punishment of our sins and stretched out on that cross, even his closest disciples would abandon him. It was on the cross that the king of kings never looked weaker, never looked more pitiful, never looked, I mean, did the kingdom of God ever look more hidden than there? But appearances were deceiving on the cross, weren't they? Because on that cross, Jesus was not losing. He was actually conquering. On that cross, Jesus wasn't defeated by his enemies. He was actually disarming the rulers and authorities and putting them to open shame. It's at the cross that the mustard seed and the leaven of this parable find their fulfillment. And it's because of the cross that this mustard seed and leaven get their power in the kingdom of God. It's the cross that fulfills the mustard seed and leaven with their meaning, and it's the cross of Jesus Christ that gives them all their power in his kingdom. It's because of what Christ accomplished on the cross when his kingdom was seemingly, by all appearances, at its very weakest. It's at that point that actually all its power was being released. All its power was opening up. All its power was beginning to activate and spread so that upon his resurrection, Christ's kingdom would grow, and it would grow, and it would grow, and it would grow. And it would grow so that 120 in the upper room quickly become 3,000 on the day of Pentecost. It would grow so that in Paul's lifetime, it spread from Jerusalem to Antioch to Rome. It would grow so that by the fourth century, 10 million people would confess Jesus Christ. It would grow so that today, Christianity is the most widespread religion in the world. In virtually every nation around the world, Christ is now worshipped. At least two billion people confess Jesus Christ. And while it can appear that Christ's kingdom is waning in the West right now, and let me just stress that, it appears so. It has appeared this way before. It has appeared so, and who knows what tomorrow holds. It appears like it's waning right now, but exactly when the kingdom is hidden is when it's most activated and powerful. So let's not give up on the country yet. Let's not just say that it's all been thrown out with the baby with the bathwater yet. Who knows what Christ is doing right now? But let me just say, well, here's what we do know he's doing right now. The kingdom of God is spreading like wildfire in places like Latin America, Africa, and Asia. In fact, did you know this, that by 2050, by 2050, it is estimated that one in every eight people in the world will be an African Christian. It is estimated in 2050 that one in every eight people in the world will be an African Christian. Listen, in 1900, more than half of the world's population, over 50%, was considered unreached with the gospel. Today, that percentage is down under 30%. Friends, Jesus' kingdom is spreading the world over. 
And one day, men and women from every tribe, every tongue, every people, every nation will be standing before the throne of Christ our King, and they will cry out with a loud voice, and we'll be there with them, saying, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne, and to the Lamb. What does John tell us? What does the Apostle John tell us? He says, this is the victory that has overcome the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world. What? Our faith. This is the victory that has overcome the world. Our faith, 1 John 5, 4. Our faith is what overcomes the world. And Jesus teaches us that faith can fit inside of a mustard seed. Jesus teaches us that faith can fit inside of a mustard seed. Faith is what overcomes the world. Faith can fit inside of a mustard seed. And a mustard seed, when it has grown, is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and make nests in their branches. Faith the size of a mustard seed expects to seed a mustard seed kingdom. In other words, it expects to see very great things out of very small things. And this is the lesson for us. This is the lesson for us, Covenant of Grace Church. This is the use of this passage. Don't give up. Don't give up and don't grow weary in doing good. Don't give up and don't get discouraged by what you see all around you. Instead, live by faith in the cross of Jesus Christ. Instead, live by faith in Christ's mustard seed kingdom. So, you're saying, okay, how does that apply to me? Okay, Jace, what are you saying? Where does this apply into my life? Here's where it applies into your life. Moms, you labor, you labor with your kids like no other. You just pour your life into them. Remember the movie, The Christmas Story? Right up the road, right? The house. Remember the Christmas story? What's Ralphie say of his mother? My mother hasn't had a hot meal for herself in 15 years. Why? Because moms always just pour themselves into their children. Right? They are, you are, you are, you are caring for your kids. You are discipling your kids. You are nurturing your kids. You are teaching your kids. And yet, is it not a plague on you? Is it not your regular temptation to think, my goodness, for all that, there's very little fruit. I love my kids to death, but it seems like there is very little growth. I love my kids so much, but it feels like I'm affecting very little change. And you wonder, is all this work worth it? Is all this death to myself worth it? Is any of this working at all? Don't live by sight. Live by faith in Christ's mustard seed kingdom. Dads, you care. You care about where our nation is going. You care about our country. You care that it does not value families like it used to. You care that it does not hold on to traditional values or traditional marriage or traditional gender. You care that our government spends money irresponsibly as if it grows on trees. What are you to do about it? How are you to affect real change? What can you do for your country and for Christ's kingdom? Answer, love your wife. Be a good dad. 
Disciple your children. Lead in family devotions, even if you're terrible at it and everybody falls asleep every time you do it. Do not despise, dads, the day of small beginnings. The Reformation doesn't happen out there. It happens in your homes. Be faithful with a little. Be good stewards of your money. Do you feel like that's too little, too late? Well, remember, it's a mustard seed kingdom. You're a parent of a teen. You're a parent of a teen, and you love your kid. You'd do anything for them. But if I got you to be honest for a minute, and sorry, teens, you have to hear this, but if I got you to be honest for a minute, you're discouraged about how immature they are. You're discouraged about how immature they are in Christ. You're discouraged that there's little fruit in their life. You're disappointed that by their age, after all you've taught them, after all you've deposited into them, they're not doing more for Jesus. They're not stronger in the faith. They don't know their Bible better. Well, parent, let me encourage you. Do not parent by sight, but by faith in Christ's mustard seed kingdom. You may be looking. Listen, this is what you're doing. You're looking at a mustard seed plant that's just sprouted out of the earth. You're looking at a mustard seed plant that's just a few inches tall. It's not finished growing yet. It's just begun. So don't look at this little sprout of a plant and think, that's it? That's it? Look at that little plant and think, oh, there it is. There it, come on, you can do it. That should be how we parent teens. Come on, you can do it. And teens, you can do it. You can do it in Christ. You're growing. And you are not yet what you will be. You've got a heart to share the gospel. You've got a heart to share the gospel. You're trying to reach out to your coworker. You're trying to reach out to your neighbor. You're trying to reach out to your family members. But there's no response. No one's getting saved around you. You've been reaching out to people for years, and you're not seeing anyone show any interest in the Christ that you are sharing. And you're wondering, does this even work? <laughs> I mean, am I doing something wrong? Because I'm sharing, and no one's getting saved. I heard a friend, a friend told me recently a story about a neighbor they were sharing the gospel with, and uh, they'd been sharing the gospel with this neighbor, and in the middle of the night one night, you know, they're asleep in bed, and they hear this banging on their door. And they go to the door, what's going on? It's their neighbor, and the neighbor's saying, I've just got to talk to you about God. And so the neighbor comes in and, and, and gets saved that night. And they tell that story, and I think, well, that's great, that never happens to me. Why does that happen to me? I mean, I like to sleep, but I will take that interruption. I would welcome that interruption. Why does that happen to me? Well, I need to remember, that's the abnormal. The normal is Jesus has a mustard seed kingdom. It's sowing, and it's waiting, and it's farming, and it's praying, and giving God the growth. Are you struggling with a sin in your life? One you fought with for years, but have seen very little success in, very little victory against. Maybe there's been a little bit of victory, enough victory so that, yeah, you think, I think I'm a Christian. It doesn't feel like it sometimes with this one. It doesn't feel like it sometimes with this fight. It doesn't feel like it sometimes with this sin. 
And you think, man, is there any hope for lasting change here? Is fighting this sin getting me anywhere? And that's where you need to remember, it's a mustard seed kingdom. Or maybe you feel weak and small in Christ's kingdom. Maybe you feel like you look at this church, you look around at people in this church, and you think, man, it is filled with gifted people who contribute all kinds of good things. Richard up here singing away and all this beautiful band and this preacher up here shouting and hollering all the time and people seem to come and be affected. I go community, I got this leader that can lead a community. What do I got? What can I do? My gift seems so small. I feel like I have so little to offer. It's a mustard seed sized kingdom. God can take a little and do a whole lot with it. So don't despise the day of small beginnings. Our passage today encourages us to begin looking at life through the lens of these parables. To see mustard seed kingdom work all around us. To see that we are called to put a little bit of leaven, mix it in, and let the Lord spread it. So in conclusion, I want to take us back to a place where Richard had us earlier. Earlier, Richard mentioned that today is Reformation Sunday. Uh, Today, we commemorate that great Reformation that occurred just over 500 years ago, a Reformation that changed the world over. Today, remember that great Reformation. I hope you do remember that great Reformation. because it's truly one we are indebted to. But here's the thing I want you to remember about it this year. Remember this, that at the time, it didn't look anything like a world-affecting Reformation. At the time, it did not look like a great Reformation. Today, we see the mustard plant. They only saw the mustard seed. We see a plant as tall as a tree so that the birds of the air have come and made their nest in it. They saw the smallest of seeds being sown into the ground, but those men sowed in faith, believing Jesus' promise that unless a seed falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. When Luther nailed his 95 theses to the door of the castle church in Wittenberg, Germany, he did so as a simple monk not thinking of himself as a great reformer. Luther, Calvin, Zingli, Biza, Tyndale, these men did not walk to church past great statues of themselves as there are in their cities today. All these men knew were trouble, trial, and tribulation. All of them were opposed. Many of them were exiled. Many of them had prices on their head. Some of them were killed. Some of them died for what they believed. But... In Jesus' kingdom, looks can be deceiving. Not all is as it appears. There is more than meets the eye. These men were laboring for a mustard seed kingdom, and now they have become great trees that the birds of the air come and make their nest in. 
You see, men of faith see that great things can come from little things. Men of faith understand that faith can fit inside of a mustard seed, and a mustard seed can move a mountain. So our Lord is calling us in our passage today, he is calling us to a life of faith. He is calling us not to give up in doing good, for this is the victory that has overcome the world. It is our faith, our faith in a crucified Savior who now lives and reigns. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we pray with gratefulness for this word. God, this is a word that gives life. This is a word that gives sight. Lord, we pray that you would impart to us eyes of faith to see your kingdom expanding, to see your kingdom growing, to see your your kingdom breaking through all around us. God, we pray that you would strengthen our faith with this word. Help us to not grow weary, but to endure with patience. God, I pray that you would also take the seeds of our lives and the seeds that you have us plant for your kingdom. And Lord, we pray that you would make them grow and be fruitful, as we've seen in a couple weeks ago, 30, 60, 100 fold. We ask all this for your glory, Jesus, and in your name. Amen.